0: So Merry Christmas, beloved Elam family. It has been, I, we have been here now be three. This is our third Christmas with you all. So it has been a joy to now start to build some history and some traditions with you. And this is our last Sunday of Advent. Uh, it's the morning of Christmas Eve. It's nearly time to celebrate the birth of Christ. And those, for those of you who've been with us these four weeks, we have been singing our way through the season. We've been preparing our hearts by lifting our voices. We've been renewing our minds by reflecting on the words and the origins of some of these most cherished carols. These spiritual songs of Christmas worship that we've inherited from our spiritual forefathers and foremothers in the faith. And this year, we're looking back. Next year, I'm excited to discover how contemporary uh, Christian songwriters are grappling with the Christmas gospel. But this year, we're looking back. And today, we're going to turn our attention to the most famous of all Christmas songs, Silent Night. And you guys have some sermon notes. All of the original verses of Silent Night are there for you to look at. And as much as I love my holiday traditions. I am fairly flexible. But there are years that life happens. There's years that circumstances require the regular rhythms to be put aside. I understand that. But yet, nearly all of my 37 Christmases, we have at least decorated some sort of tree. We have, even if it's fake, which is not my favorite, but you know, life happens, trees are expensive. Uh, We've at least unwrapped some gifts together and we have almost always rang in Christ's birth by singing Silent Night as a church family by candlelight on Christmas Eve, which we are going to do again this year. And if you would allow me, I would love to tell you the story behind Silent Night, or as it was in the original German, Stille Nacht Nacht. Heiglinacht. I don't speak German, sorry. It was first sung in 1818 on an icy cold night at a small Christmas Eve church service held for St. Nicholas's Church in the Austrian village of Obendorf. It was sung by ordinary believers. They were led by their tiny church choir. And that day they were accompanied on guitar, by their young 25-year-old priest, a man by the name of Joseph Moore. And this simple yet beautiful carol, it owes its debut to an organ that wouldn't play and to a pastor who refused to hold service without music. And the song, as you will see, uh, was an answer to prayer. So... Young, both in life and ministry, Joseph Moore had been assigned to St. Nicholas's Church for just over a year at that point. By all reports, he was this tireless, giving young man. He spent most of his time ministering to the children of the area's poorest families there in Austria. He cared for them deeply because he himself was the child, the illegitimate child of a seamstress and an army deserter who had been passing through town. So he knew what it was like to grow up as a kid on the margins. He also had cultivated a deep passion for music. You see, he had been touched greatly. He had this experience at his grandfather's church where they had sung praises to God in their native German instead of just in the traditional Latin. And it had impacted him. So now it's the winter of 1818. It was a bitter one in the village of Oberndorf. The river had flooded and then it froze. Temperatures were frigid and snow covered everything. And so, more as this new young pastor, he was making his last minute preparations for the, the Christmas Eve midnight mass. He was tidying up the sanctuary, he was getting things ready, and he went to do a sound check on the ancient church organ. And it would not play. So for hours he struggles with the instrument. He's working on the pedals, he's getting behind it, he's trying to see what on earth has gone wrong with this instrument. And try what he might, he cannot get it to make any noise. It was either taken out by the cold or by the mice that so often plagued his sanctuary. So unable to do anything else, Moore pauses to pray. And he asks God for a solution or for inspiration, something that might allow him to bring music to God's people on this most holy and meaningful of nights. And as he sits there in the quiet, the Lord brought to mind a poem that Moore had written two years earlier when he was visiting his grandfather for the holidays. You see, back in 1816, the region of Salzburg, which is their part of Austria, was still celebrating the end of the brutal Napoleonic Wars. And their region had been the last region in Austria to be liberated. And the townsfolk, they're still euphoric as the, the withdrawal of the last of Napoleon's allies, the Bavarians, were taken out of their country. And so it's Christmas Eve, he's getting ready to go to midnight mass, and he's, he's warmed by uh, hope, he's buoyed by joy, and he decides he's going to walk from his grandfather's house to the church at 11 o'clock at night uh, on a snowy winter's night. And he's all alone, and as he walks from grandpa's house To the church, it's this quiet, star-filled evening, and in the stillness, he propends six unadorned stanzas as he prepares his heart for worship. And the first is this, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, Round yon virgin, mother and child, Holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. You can almost kind of see the gleam of the moon and hear the snow crunching beneath his boots. And I want to clarify something. For those of you who are already taking offense on Mary's behalf, who are you calling a round young virgin, sir? A round yawn it's, it's a prepositional phrase. Around yon, over there, is a virgin mother with her child. He's not calling her round. He's saying around over there. He's anticipating getting to the churchyard and seeing the nativity display in front. But as he walks through this rustic setting, he's suddenly transported from Austria Back to Bethlehem on that very first Christmas. You can see it as the poem progresses silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight, glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing Alleluia, Christ the Savior is born. He's remembering the story now, and he's trying to reflect upon its meaning. Not just what happened, but what does it mean? So he keeps going. Silent night, holy night, Son of God, loves pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, that's Yahweh, God, Lord at thy birth. Jesus' birth is a revelation of God's love. Here God is taking on our humanity. He's adopting our humility to rescue and save us. And this child's birth, he realizes, as he's walking through the snow on this dark night, is like the coming sunrise. His arrival means the dawn of grace Humanity receiving a gift that we did little to deserve. It's also really interesting. One of the things I discovered as I researched the history of this song is in 1816, like now, I don't know if anyone saw, there's a volcano uh, blowing up in Iceland. And back then in 1816, there was also a volcano going off, I think in Iceland. And so the world was dark. It was not just winter dark. It was also there's ash in the air and the world is dark. And he says, this child's birth is the dawn. And he goes on. Silent night, holy night, brought the world's gracious light. Down from heaven's golden height comes to us the glorious sight Jesus, one of mankind. Not only is he God at his birth, but he is one of us. He is humanity. He is a human being stepping into our experience. And that is good news. And as this, at this point, Moore seems to recall not only the darkness that has plagued their continent, but that ugly conflict that has just wrecked havoc in Europe. And he remembers Jesus has promised place among us as our prince of peace. And he says, silent night, holy night, long ago, minding our plight, God the world from misery freed in the dark age of our fathers decreed. What does God decree? All the world is redeemed. He realizes that God's Deepest longing is to draw all people to Himself. No one is excluded. Because of Jesus' whole project of coming to be born among us as a human, to live a perfect life, to die for us on a cross, to raise from the dead, there is redemption And Jesus' love, it breaks down all man-made barriers and divisions and prejudice. Not only does redemption restore our relationship to God, it enables us to be restored to one another, which is a real thing in a land that has been plagued by war. Anyone can receive God's love and salvation because God has taken down those dividing walls of hostility between us and our Father, between us and one another as he draws all people to himself. All the world is redeemed. And Moore's poem ends with him receiving Christ's incredible gift and joining his voice to the heavenly chorus. Silent night, holy night, wondrous star, lend thy light With the angels, let us sing, Alleluia to our King. Christ the Savior is born. These heartfelt lines, drafted on a snowy winter's walk, had lain forgotten among Moore's papers. And yet as he prayed for God to bring his people music, God reminded him of this Christmas poem. But he didn't know yet what to do with it. He fished through his things. He found the little tattered piece of paper in his pocket. He folded it carefully. He shoved it into the pocket of his warmest winter coat, and he shot out the door. Braving the bone-chilling weather with only hours to spare before the midnight mass, this energetic pastor trekked two miles through the snow to the neighboring village until he reached their schoolhouse and he climbed up the stairs to the schoolmaster's humble apartment and he started pounding at the door he was dropping in on christmas eve unannounced to an old friend franz gruber franz gruber hans gruber franz gruber you cannot tell me that die hard is not a christmas movie I just realized that, but this is Franz Gruber, his 31-year-old friend who was the the schoolmaster and music teacher. It's very possible that this is the man that taught him how to play guitar. So he exchanges a quick Merry Christmas, and he pulls his friend to the little table there in the apartment, and he says, "Hey, we've got a situation." He lays out what's taken place with the organ. And he says, I sense that the Lord is throwing us a lifeline. But it will involve your gifts and this text. And he brings out his poem. Franz, can you write music to these words that can be easily learned by our choir? And I guess without the organ, it will have to be music that can be played on guitar. And then he glances at the little clock that's on the table. And says, the time, though, is so short. Is it possible? And it must have been a God thing. Musicians, you can tell me if this is uh, normal, how songs come about. But after just briefly studying the poem, Gruber smiles and he nods. And then Moore says, okay, here's when the choir is going to rehearse. And he launches himself back out into the cold. And Moore, he leaves Fully confident that God would provide. That God would show himself strong to the praise of his glorious grace. These are the sorts of prayers that God thrills to answer. So as one historian put it, confident again that God somehow had a special plan this Christmas Eve. Moore raced back across the snow to the church. Leaving Gruber alone with his thoughts, a ticking clock and a prayer for inspiration. So shortly after midnight, it was the great joy of Moore and Gruber to stand before the altar there in Saint Nicholas's Church in a candlelit sanctuary, and they introduced the congregation to this simple hymn that was sung in their common tongue. And as the priest strummed Saint Nicholas's five-person choir took up the melody and as believing friends and neighbors began to join in the song it became clear to all of them that they were experiencing a holy moment here was a song that God had brought forth in their hour of need it was born out of quiet reflection sung by the lowly it's almost a lullaby to the child who would grow up to save us. And today this day, it remains one of the best articulations of our Christmas worship. And if you're interested how it got disseminated, when the guy came to fix the organ a couple weeks later, he heard the store and he saw the music sitting there, and he grabbed it, <laughs> and he took it to the next town to introduce it to his congregation and from there, it spread like wildfire across Europe. There's a great story in World War I, that the first Christmas of the Great War, there was a truce in the trenches. One side started singing it. I don't know if it was in German or French or English. And then the other side took it up, and they all met in the middle in no man's land and had a, a Christmas celebration across national boundaries in the face of conflict as they remembered the hope we have at Christmas. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. So as we meditate on this song of Christmas, there's one verse from the the biblical narrative that jumps instantly to my mind after Jesus is born, he's laid to rest in his manger crib. After the shepherds come calling, bringing their news of angels visiting, their tidings of, of great joy, we read this in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. In all the tumult and excitement, Mary steals a quiet moment to process and to hold fast in her memory all that has happened. Life has been quite the whirlwind. There has been an angelic visit. There's been a mysterious, miraculous pregnancy. There's been a a betrothal that was thrown in doubt and then confirmed a difficult cross-country journey. She has to come to terms with giving birth in a strange place under non-ideal circumstances. And then there's the sudden appearance of these loud, boisterous shepherds with all their unbelievable news. And you have to realize that things wouldn't become calmer in the coming days, months, years. She was a teenager learning how to become a mother and a wife. Soon they'd be leaving town under duress. They would be Uh, refugees in a foreign land. There would be another move. There would be more kids. Historians think maybe like seven. And then an early widowhood. But on that first night, as she stared into the peaceful face of her sleeping newborn, she received the gift of quiet from the Lord and she chose to treasure up and ponder all these things. And for us too, Christmas can be full of noise and busyness and glorious excitement. But both our song today and the mother of our Lord encourage us to carve out space for contemplation. To seize the opportunity like Father Moore and Mother Mary to treasure up and ponder all that God has done. You see, to treasure up means to keep carefully in mind all that has happened to protect it from the corruption of forgetfulness or distortion, to preserve it fresh and safe in our collective memories. That's why we write Christmas songs, after all. It's one of the ways that we treasure up and preserve all that transpired, how we keep the flame of the Christmas gospel burning bright in our hearts. But we don't just remember, we also ponder To ponder means to wrestle with something, to interrogate it, to dialogue with it, to tease out the implications and its meaning. What does it mean that Christ, our Savior, has been born in a manger, that the true light is shining in our darkness? No worries. We love to worship with our kiddos that Jesus has come to renew love and to bring life and hope and peace. But pondering is more than careful thought. It means arriving at a conclusion, at a course of action. Events like these either need to be processed and rejected as fantastical or they need to alter our journeys. For if a story like this is true, you want to find your place within it and not be left out in the cold apart from the incredible drama of redemption and grace so we have a few minutes left together and i want to actually create some space for you to hear again the christmas story not to rush but to sit with it you've made time to be here this morning let's take advantage of the gift of a moment's stillness so i'm going to have beth and brianna Actually, read for us the story in three parts from Mary's vantage point. And each step of the way on the back of your sermon notes, I will have different prompts for you to treasure up and ponder. And it will look slightly different each time, but to the same end. So I'm going to ask Beth to read us Mary's story from Luke chapter 1, when the angel visits. And your question is going to be this. What piece of Mary's experience strikes you as most interesting or surprising, and why? So, as you hear, as you ponder and reflect, wrestle with this question.
1: In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her.
0: So as you treasure up and ponder, I want you to take a minute. And this time I'm going to have you talk to one of the two or the people sitting next to you and share your answer and engage the kids that are with us too. What piece of Mary's experience strikes you as the most interesting or surprising and why? So take a minute, share with the person sitting next to you. Introduce yourself if you guys don't know each other. But what about Mary's experience strikes you as most interesting or surprising and why? Why? Okay, extroverts, give the introverts uh, 10 seconds left that you stole from them. Okay. Well, I'm now going to ask Brianna to read Mary's Song of Praise from Luke uh, chapter 1. But as you listen, consider for yourself what aspect or implication of the Christmas story... Most causes you to sing. So be.
2: And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, for now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. to Abraham and his offspring forever.
0: Thank you. So as you consider, I'm going to ask one or two people to share with us what aspect or implication of the gospel story most causes you to sing. If you have an answer, just raise your hand and I'll run out to you. What aspect or implication of the Christmas story most causes you to sing? Yes, Janelle.
2: Uh, Just God's faithfulness. Again, he's sending Jesus as he said he would, and it's faithfulness to us.
0: God is faithful. One more person. What aspect or implication of the Christmas story most causes you to sing? Let this penetrate your own hearts and lives as well. One more person.
2: Just that word, forever.
0: Mm. Yeah, forever. This is not good news for one moment. This is not good news for one generation. This is good news forever, that impacts forever. And then now, Beth is going to read the the tail end of our Christmas story.
1: and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them.
0: Amen. Thank you, ladies. So as you treasure up these truths and you ponder them in your heart, how will you respond? There's a spot for you to write your response on the back of your sermon notes. But I really would encourage you, To not miss the opportunity, to not just remember, but to treasure up and to ponder how is this good news? How does it touch you? And how will it change you? So take a moment, put your convictions into words, write it on paper. notice as we look back over our Advent journey that each of our carols were wrestling with this same question. God rest ye merry gentlemen responds to the Christmas gospel by refusing to give fear or distress a foothold in our lives. Why? Because Jesus keeps us strong. Because we trust his victory over Satan's power on the cross and his triumph over death through the empty tomb, we don't have to concern ourselves with our own future or our own security. Instead, we can give ourselves wholly to his tidings of comfort and joy, to embracing our fellow man in true love and brotherhood as individuals for whom Jesus came to earth, for whom Jesus died. Right? Joy to the world responded to the Christmas gospel by considering how we might receive Jesus as our king. Prepare him room in the very center of your life. Be open to receive all that he will bring and submit to his leadership in your life. Go tell it on the mountain responds to the Christmas gospel by becoming a herald of it. Jesus is coming was a revelation of love. It was a revelation of power, and this great grace and jubilee is something to shout from the heights. Jesus, our humble Savior, has come to bring life, liberation, and jubilee, and it was news to be shared. It is news to be shared. And finally, Silent Night prompts us to be still, to still the busyness and the crazy, and to draw near to Jesus so that we might marvel and so that we might worship to give him the worth that he is due silent night holy night wondrous star lend thy light with the angels let us sing hallelujah to our king christ our savior is born let me close this in prayer and then if you want to sing Silent Night, you got to come back tonight. Because it's not night, it's morning. So, dear God, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the, the, this breath, this moment, to remember, to reflect, to acknowledge your great love for us. May our hearts sing your praise this holiday season. And may it not just be something that warms us, but something that changes our steps. May we too get lost in this holy moment. And may we be saved. As the two ladies shared, you are faithful and you are forever And we glorify your name, in Jesus' name, amen.